Today in the Marshall Pruitt Podcast, we have your Week in IndyCar guest episode brought to you by Cooper Tires, the Justice Brothers, TorontoMotorsports.com, Bell Racing Helmets USA, and one of our dear brothers, a certain guy by the name of Scott Dixon. How you doing, my friend? I'm doing awesome. I'm doing awesome. Good to uh, talk to you. Well, as usual, our listener-driven show, lots of fun stuff to get through on today's episode. Figure we might start with one just a little closer to home, knowing that you have been more dad than IndyCar driver and husband than IndyCar driver. We're here just, you know, a couple days away from you getting to do your first race of the year at Texas. What has it been like being home with your girls in particular and your new son? What's it been like trying to maybe share with them or, or explain to them what's go- been going on in the world with both a virus and now within the last week to week and a half, uh, some pretty serious societal changes as well in the U.S. Can't be easy as a dad and an athlete. Uh, it's, it's, you know, it's been, uh, interesting, but I think it's been interesting for everybody, right? Everybody's lives are, you know, so different from, from one day to the next. Um, you know, I think everybody's definitely been craving some normalcy, which, you know, it, it, uh, doesn't look like that's going to occur for, for quite some time. Um, you know, I think we were lucky with, uh, you know, Poppy and Tilly and how their school, uh, was able to, you know, sort of jump into action with uh, e-learning and, um, you know, they still continued from 8.30 to, you know, 2.30 or 3 p.m. in the afternoon um, as usual. And, you know, their class sizes are fairly small. There's only about maybe 11 or 12 kids um, per class. So I think that made it a little bit easier for the teachers. And, and you know, their structure is a little bit different too, right? They're an international school. They're in full French immersion. Um, you know, so it's – it's. Uh, it's been a big help. Um, you know, I think with Kit, um, you know, he's going to be, what is it, five and a half months now, I think. So that time's kind of flown. You know, it seems like December was uh, was, was not that long ago. And, and um, you know, we're almost, you know, well, we're, we're fully into June. But it's, um, you know, I think as far as a day-to-day thing for me and for the race side has been, you know, not much change apart from, you know, having to do all the training and, and uh, that kind of stuff at home, which, you know, we're, we're very fortunate and very lucky to, you know, to have, you know, the equipment that I need to, to, to crack on with that. And the team has done a good job, um, you know, with, with uh, you know, up-to-date meetings and, and keeping everybody kind of on the same, you know, mindset and making sure that we're, that we're ready to go. So that's uh, that's been good. But, um, yeah, and then, and then uh, you know, the the fact of, uh, you know, the, the George uh, Floyd incident and, and, you know, how I think it's not so much put a spotlight, but, you know, I think it, 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 it you know, it's for us where we're lucky to, you know, the kids go to a very diverse school um, where, you know, Emma's from the UK, I'm from New Zealand, you know, we, we kind of have, you know, some different versions of how we were brought up and, you know, I think it's, it's, uh, it's definitely, you know, the girls have asked quite a bit, you know, they're in that, that intrigued, you know, kind of uh, intriguing age, which, um, you know, has been interesting as a parent and, mm. You know, I think the biggest thing for us has just been trying to listen and understand. And, you know, Emma's been very proactive in, in trying to, you know, find the easiest and best way to maybe explain some of the tough questions that they have. So, um, you know, it's it's a difficult time, a time that, 
is is paramount and and you know a uh, time to to really make change and and try i think just to educate yourself you know i think that's the the biggest thing to you know see why this is cut so deep and and how it's occurred and what's occurred and and once you do i think you know it, it really makes sense you know and it's it's painful for a lot of people and you know uh, obviously i've been very privileged and um you know many of us have Let's go to Zach Eckler, Dix. Curious not just about your excitement to get racing, to get this thing moving, but also thoughts on the Indy 500 being in August. Uh, Zach, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm excited to get racing. Um, you know, it's it's all a little bit different. You know, I think I think a lot of us thought that the, the – Detroit uh, duel in Detroit was going to be out front uh, and, and first, which which I think would have been, uh, you know, there wouldn't have been a hot topic of, you know, oh, we're going to Texas for the first time or anything like that. So, you know, it's, um, I think all of us just want to get racing, you know, and, and there's some changes in how we're doing that. Obviously with, with travel, it's a, it's a very compressed schedule. Um, you know, yes, because we have done things for so long a certain way, you know, you're going to complain about some of, you know, the changes, whether it's the, the shortened, uh, you know, tire stints to the shortened race slightly. Uh, but ultimately, you know, we're, we're very lucky to be racing and, and you've got to look at the positives and, and, and try and do the best with, with what you got. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, we're lucky to get an hour and 20 minutes practice. You know, we're, we're lucky to get a qualifying session and, and, you know, we're lucky that, uh, you know, all the partners are able to, to get us, um, you know, running for, for almost full distance race in Texas. And I think, you know, as long as everybody's smart and uh, IndyCar, the NTT IndyCar series has been, you know, uh, very, um, you know, professional in the front of understanding what we need to do and laying, laying out the guidelines, which, you know, honestly, NASCAR has been a massive help for us as well in uh, going up front and first for, for a lot of uh, sporting, um, you know, groups and leagues. Um you know, so I think all of us just uh, going in with eyes wide open. Uh, but, you know, we're very competitive. So, you know, there's been a lot of built up uh, tension and, and, and people wanting to get racing. And, and I think it's going to be a spectacular race come this weekend in Texas. Uh, and then the second question was uh, the 500, right? So um, the month of August. Yeah, the, the, it's very weird because, you know, uh, living in Indianapolis, I've lived here now for about 19 years and, and seeing how the city changes and, you know, uh, spring and getting ready for the month of May and how the city really embraces, you know, uh, this, this, uh, uh, historic event, you know, is, is impressive. And, and, you know, it's, it's funny kind of, you know, riding with the girls, you know, kind of after school, we go out for a bit of a ride occasionally and, and just seeing still all the checkered flags and the new Atlas 500 flags, you know, scattered through these neighborhoods. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's definitely, it's definitely missed and, and, you know, to see that support, uh, still so, you know, so deep, I think is, is, uh, is fantastic, but yeah. Um, again, what is, what is normal? You know, uh, we, we're, we're going through some strange times right now. Um, you know, what is August going to look like? What's the race going to look like? What is, you know, the, the fan participation going to look like? So, you know, I think a lot of us hope and really, uh, you know, pray that that august is going to go ahead and that fans are maybe in attendance but you know even even right now we don't know if that's a possibility so uh you know it uh, it will be different but you know it's still the 500 still the biggest race in the world and one that uh all of us want to get you know our face uh, either again or, or for the first time uh first time is on that board corner 
So you mentioned the just high energy in anticipation of getting back to racing this weekend. That piggybacks perfectly with a question from Nathan DeRover. Says, Scott, to a lot of folks, the idea of coming back from such a long time away on the fastest, gnarliest track on the schedule in a car with new weight distribution with the aero screen. Uh, got some rookies out there who've never raced to Texas. Not a ton of practice. Crazy new tire rules. So this seems like a recipe for something awful. Says, so as a very respected driver, is there any role you can take to convey the need for everyone to be smart and maybe take it a little bit easy so that everyone can leave Texas happy and healthy? It's a great question, man. I love Texas. Everyone loves Texas. Everyone also fears Texas. Yeah, Texas, uh, you know, we, we, we've had some tremendous races, you know, uh, recently. Um, and I don't see any reason why that won't continue. You know, I think the the bit of unknown is kind of good in some ways because it, it, it does create, um, you know, an, another challenge. Um, you know, it's definitely going to be very demanding, I think, for, for the rookies. But, I, you know, I understand that, you know, most of those, uh, all the rookies will get an additional 30 minutes practice plus a good majority of them had already tested previously uh, in the season, uh, I think, right after Coda. Yeah. Um, so I think there's really only maybe one or two teams that haven't been there, which is us, Carlin and, and maybe Foyt that haven't tested at Texas with the new configuration. Um, you know, but again, that was a, was a long time ago. Um, yeah, it's just, you know, I think we, we have a really good group of drivers. Um, it is very challenging to, you know, balance out the fact of, of pent up tension, wanting to win the race, being extremely competitive and, and then also, you know, giving your fellow, fellow competitors enough room to, to make sure we all, all make it out of there and with, with no, you know, no issues. So, um, I'm sure there's going to be some incidents. There always is, you know, that's part of oval racing and, and Texas definitely has its challenges. You know, the, the shortened tire or shortened stint length is, is going to create some other, uh, you know, kind of possibilities because, you know, then the, the pressure of getting your end laps, you know, the outlap is kind of set now because you had the two stage limiter, you know, where you're, you know, 50 or 60 miles an hour pit lane and then it goes to 90 on the pit exit. So that's not so much of a, of an issue, but you can gain, you know, up to, you know, a few seconds on, on pit entry just by carrying a lot more speed through three and four, which, you know, we've seen in the past that's created some, you know, problems of people, you know, going back up onto track and, and, you know, hopefully they avoid any cars to, you know, the, the pressure of, you know, being on the pit cruise of a possibility of six stops opposed to, you know, the three or four that you'd normally have and your half tanks. So a normal fuel delivery of eight seconds is going to only be maybe four <laughs> seconds. So it puts a ton of pressure, you know, on, on, on the tire changes and, and people on the air jacks and things like that. So it's, it's going to be interesting in, in, a, in a lot of areas. Um, I don't know, man. All I can say is I hope that, you know, everybody looks after each other and, you know, uh, as I'm sure we will, um, and, and everybody, uh, you know, has a great race. And I think that's, that's what we're, we're here to race. We're, we're here to come across these challenges. We're all professional people. Uh, and you've got to, you've just got to get on with it. So we do have a, a specific question related to the 35 lap tire stint limit. This comes from Lance Snyder. He's curious if you think it will make strategy easier or harder. 
Well, that's tough because you don't know where, you know, you don't know where the cautions are going to fall. Um, you know, do you get into a situation where it goes green, you know, with 38 laps to go and then everybody's got to pit with three laps to go, you know? So it's, it is kind of, I hate things like this. That's just my personal preference. I don't think you should ever be told how to do your strategy. Uh, that's one of the cool things about IndyCar is, you know, the difference and ways you can attack it um, and try and win these races. Um, it also benefits the people that maybe necessarily don't have that great a car or haven't worked on the car or, you know, the, the teams that have maybe just missed the, the boat a little bit. So it, 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 does create this unknown again and and you know uh i don't know that's that it makes it simple and that you know that you have to pit so i guess it just makes it simple you know i don't think you can really unless there's you know a weird one like we see you know a lot of the times at indianapolis where there's a like a, a lap 165 or 170 caution that comes yeah. out and, and people kind of split it down the middle but again that creates uh, a lot of creativity and, and some excitement and, and and plays well for the race so you know if it is what it is the only thing that i am happy about is that you know we're not doing a 35 lap caution you know it's 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 still remaining green you know we had races previously um you know at texas where they, they threw a 35 or 40 lap caution because you know uh, one team was really struggling with with tires um that you know bunched the the the, the pack up and and people you know then started hitting each other so hopefully that doesn't happen yeah amen to that uh let's go to our pal louise smith she says scott i got to spend time in the pits during the last two portland grand prix races i love this observation here from louise uh, she says your crew seems like a very tight-knit bunch do you spend time with them outside of the race weekends? Uh, Louise, not recently. Uh, we haven't been allowed <laughs> to, but it's, um, no, I think, you know, I think that, that, you know, we are a team, you know, we, we win as a team and we lose as a team and, and, you know, each person, uh, person's role is, is, you know, crucial and, in, in, you know, being consistent and, and being able to have the opportunity to win in such a competitive series. So it's, um, yeah, we, we have, uh, you know, dinners, we, you know, have social events, um, you know, as of right now, you know, that that's been, uh, it's been pretty tough, but I think, you know, a lot of these people, a lot of these people on this crew, uh, and throughout the eight, nine and 10 crews, you know, I've, I've known for 20 plus years, you know, a lot of them actually came from, you know, pack West when that, that folded, uh, in 2001. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a really tight family. You know, the, the Ganassi group is a, is a really tight group of people and, and, uh, hard workers and, and extremely competitive, which is, uh, which is what we all love. So yeah, I would say we, we, we do, we do a lot of events together and try and, you know, build up, uh, you know, that, uh, that, um, you know, family atmosphere, but it's, it's very natural at our team, I think. And, and everybody gets on extremely well considering, you know, the, the, the toll, uh, of travel and maybe spending a little bit too much time, uh, together sometimes, but no, it's, it's very good at our team. What's a Kiwi barbecue like with you and Blair Julian, uh, and whatnot, uh, anything really good to eat or drink there? That sounds like that could be fun. Yeah, we haven't, uh, we, we normally have it. So at the, at the motorhome, you know, that's where, you know, the boys after a long work day will, will come and have a, a couple of beers and, you know, we'll, we'll cook, uh, cook some, you know, some different food and, and chill out. So, you know, uh, Dennis Weeks 
Uh, my motorhome driver normally takes that, uh, you know, pretty seriously. He gets the, the legendary wad. Yes, that's right, the legendary wad. So it's it's um, the motorhome mayor, uh, you know, takes care of a lot of that. But that's you know, again, you know, especially at different circuits like Mid Ohio and 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 you know, maybe even Barber or, or places like that where a lot of the crew actually, you know, either stay in tents or motorhomes, you know, and things like that too. But you, you have that, you know, that very uh, camping family atmosphere and, and that, uh, yeah, those, those, we definitely have a lot of those uh, during the season. One of my favorite things I will remember during the shutdown period as we're getting ready to go back to racing is the uh, better half uh, I racing event. So we have a question <laughs> yeah. here from, our pal Lawrence Cunningham, who says, Scott, have you and your wife, Emma, done any racing directly against each other? Uh, and if not, who would win and who would lose? <laughs> um, well, you know, we, we only have the one simulator um, uh, from, from, you know, when I had to do the IndyCar stuff. And, and we... Um, so no, I haven't raced Emma directly. I guess is is the easy answer. Fear. Uh, I, I hear hope, the fear yeah, in your voice. I know. I would hope that that uh, I would win. She she fared extremely well. Um, you know, the only problem with Emma is that you know her attention span is very short. You know, so it's even a couple of times in the in in the first race, I think she had. I had to grab grab the steering wheel because I'm like, just focus on what's ahead. You know, like the the straight. She had about six turns. You know, going down the straight. So um, sounds like you me. Know, it was, it, it, yeah, it was a lot of fun. Um, you know, I think uh, I think the the wives and girlfriends, and you know, they should have maybe extended it to, to you know, even boyfriends. I think you know, maybe with with uh, Pippa's husband, uh, you know, um, and things like that. You know, I think there was definitely some more opportunity, which may happen down the road. But uh, I don't know. I think everybody involved really enjoyed that. They they raised some good money, um, and it was it was definitely a, a good cause and, and something I think a lot of people enjoyed to, to tune in. But yeah, I would I would hope that. Uh, Emma's, Emma's no threat. Otherwise, yeah, that, that, that would be a big problem. As I mentioned, uh, I think last week's episode or the one before it, thing that I enjoyed in particular, Dix, from watching uh, the that better half race or the races, races was the competitiveness, the, you know, just the athletic uh, juices that came up because, you know, your wife, serious athletic background and many of the women that partook in that race in whatever sporting uh, endeavor might have been have athletic backgrounds so what i loved about it wasn't like oh it's cute look the wives and girlfriends are gonna pretend race cars yeah and there's some real like oh i wonder if she were to spend some more time on the simulator and maybe go to you know a uh, skip barber driving school or something like that i think there's some genuine talent that might have been exposed uh, among some of the drivers uh, in those couple of races too so that was the part that i enjoyed the most like no this isn't a gimmick like there there's actually yeah. there's there's something we might un have uncovered here it was full on, man. You know, I think you, you got some, you know, some some real competitors. Like uh, Emma and, and Claire Border used to compete at similar events. You know, Claire was a, a, a big runner uh, when when uh, in her junior categories, and and you know, even more as an and as an adult. So that Emma actually raced at similar events as Claire, um, <clears throat> and you know, the the you could tell straight away. Like Emma, you know, 
I'd go to bed and Emma would still be down there for like three, four, five hours. I think one of them, the one yes. night when they opened up the testing, she was up until like one in the morning or two in the morning practicing with like Claire and Heather and a few others. And, and then you got Chad Reed's wife who's extremely competitive. So yeah, it was, it was cool to witness that, but I could see, you know, the, the same rabbit hole opening up of, of what happened to, to us guys where, you know, just relentless amount of hours on, on the simulators to, to, you know, feed that, that fire of, of being competitive. And it was, it was, that was cool to see for sure. That was cool. I'm just saying road to Indy, man, did you good. Uh, Emma <laughs> exactly. Dixon, USF 2000. Uh, I'm going to start that hashtag right now. Um, Please don't. <laughs> I know you get this question quite often, but I don't think uh, I've posed this to you over the years on the show. It comes from Richard Fothergill, who says, Scott, many drivers have superstitions and rituals before they get into a car. Do you have any? And he also asks, if so, did they change or were there any new ones that cropped up during your favorite IndyCar iRacing Challenge series? No, nothing, nothing. Uh, I think it kind of the, the, the iRacing thing, which I'll answer first, kind of got from, you know, a bit of fun to, you know, serious. You know, I think I've made the comment where, you know, my sim rig came with a, with a beer holder early on and then I had to, you know, I had to replace that quickly with, with uh, just, you know, water or, or some SOS stuff. So, you know, that, that um, I don't think there was any, you know, there's no real, I don't have, big superstitions it's more of just you know the 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 chain of events that i do to get ready you know it's always you know make sure i eat and it's i try to take a nap before the race i really like to be kind of cut off from the craziness you know i think get that calm time to process or just relax and then you know for me it's always you know right glove before left glove and you know the process of putting the helmet on and always getting in from the left side of the car but those are more just triggers that you know have been similar since i was a kid um, and there's definitely, you know, teammates that, you know, Dan, I think always tapped the front of the car three times and, you know, he had some, some other rituals that, that he went through and, you know, I think TK, you know, had some, some smaller ones as well, but, you know, I think, uh, all in all, I wouldn't say there's some, I wouldn't say there's any crazy, crazy ones out there, but, uh, no, I haven't changed. I haven't changed any of mine, so they, they, they continue just to be the process of, of triggers, I think, of, of me getting uh, in the car and, and uh, getting on with, with uh, hopefully what's going to be a good race. I just wanted to hear that you, there's some random song you sing to yourself before you get in the car. That would be awesome. Uh, Backstreet Boys, yeah. maybe. Something I can try like that. that. I'll, I'll work on that. I'll work on that. And I, sure then I derail. This weekend. Yeah, then I derail your career because of my stupid <laughs> suggestion. Let's not do that. Uh, let's go to our pal Jeremy Davis. Love when we get a little bit of a uh, motorsports diversity here. So Scott, my daughters and I are diehard fans of yours and was just curious if your plans to drive for Wayne Taylor racing this year in their Cadillac DPI has changed at all with any of the scheduling adjustments between IMSA and IndyCar. Uh, I think that, I don't think there's any conflicts. Um, you know, I think Lamar was one that we were we were looking and trying to do, and I think that's now got a direct conflict. So that's that's going to be tough for a lot of people. Um, that may have changed too. So I'm not 100 percent sure on that. Um, the Wayne Taylor stuff was really outlined for Daytona and Sebring. Uh, Sebring kind of falls into a, a no conflict area now. So you know. Uh, I don't see that as being an issue. And then Petit, um, you know, shouldn't be either. So, 
uh, I don't know where we are on announcing any of that stuff, but hopefully that continues or, you know, I don't even know how Kamui comes into it now because he had previous conflicts with WEC that, that you know, uh, didn't allow him to do some of the races. So, um, yeah, I love uh, love driving with them. You know, it was a fun way to kick off the season and, and obviously, uh, you know, be a part of that team and, and, and winning, you know, uh, another Daytona 24-hour. And, you know... Uh, You're such a greedy you know, bastard, dude. Let someone else win. Man, they wouldn't let me drive the car, you know. So well, I, I was I was sharing, I was sharing it, you know. So it's uh, it, it it was it was a lot of fun, you know. It was a, a great mix of drivers, you know. There was like zero egos, and and we all just had fun, you know. And and Wayne and and Max and and that team and what they've done and the group of people that they've got working together has been uh, it was it was definitely a real pleasure to to be with uh, such a professional outfit and. And obviously, you know, the, the big goal was, you know, to win their biggest race of the year. And, and man, they, uh, they dominated that, which was really cool. Let's go to Mike Lingell. This is another fun out of left field question. Says, Scott, what do you remember about your first cart win at Nazareth? Said it was on a Monday after a snow out of all things. I was there. And he says, I knocked off of work to go enjoy it. So take us back, Dix, to uh, win number one. Uh, well, that was that was a crazy weekend um, on on many fronts. Uh, I don't remember the snow. I don't remember the snow thing. That might have been a different a different race. Uh, maybe you would know on that, Marshall. But um, I remember qualifying horrendously. Um, I remember missing the the drivers meeting and getting fined because I was so mad uh, after qualifying that I'd gone to like. I can't even remember. I went to like McDonald's or some burger joint, got a, like a large, you know, chocolate thick shake and a big hamburger, and and uh, was drowning my miseries. And then, and then, uh, actually, my teammate Mauricio Guzman uh, left the event because his uh, his son had passed. Mm. Um, you know, so it was it was a, a very emotional weekend for for the team, and and very uh, very up and down as far as performance and things like that. But. Um, you know, uh, even the warm up the next morning went horribly uh, spun. I think coming out of the last corner, luckily didn't hit anything. So I guess that was a bit of luck. And, and then the race, <clears throat> we just you know our only option we're starting so far back was was to play the fuel game and and uh, Toyota at the time and and uh, you know the team had done a tremendous job and and calling the strategy and and uh, you know with the restart with I can't remember how many to go we we we. we uh, we were able to fight off Kenny Brack and, and stay in the lead. And I, I still, <laughs> even though I, we, we finished the race and the checker flag came out, I was still going flat out that actually on, on the cool, supposed cooldown lap, which I didn't know was a supposed cooldown lap, I actually hit a car uh, in turn two or one. I can't remember where the line, no, it was turn two, the, the fast left hand, obviously left handed, but the fast turn, um, because they had slowed down because the race was over. I thought the race was still going and I actually hit it. And you'll see in, in, in the, the victory lane photos that the right rear tire is, is out of air because I hit the guy so hard. Um, <laughs> that it, it flattened the tire. And I thought my race was over. I was like, oh, my God, there can't be that many laps to go. And I've just ruined this race by hitting another car. And luckily, it was uh, it was over. So, yeah, man, that, that, that's how chaotic that race was for me. And, you know, uh, I still couldn't believe it. You know, I think two days later, um, you know, it was still craziness of, of winning an event, even though it was a fuel strategy, you know, race. But it's, uh, you know, it still felt damn good to, to get one so early. 
you got the drama out of the way early in your career there, dicks. I mean, that's yeah, that's not too bad. All right, couple more here before we got to let you back to your day. Fantasy question, courtesy of our friend JJ Gertler. It says, Mr. Dixon, you're starting second at Indianapolis. You can have any other driver of all time to the left and to the right of you. Who would you choose just so you can say that you beat them? He also says, and I remind you that your boss, Chip Ganassi, raced there as well. <laughs> yeah. uh, that's a tough one. You know, I have so many, you know, so many people I respect and, and would have loved to have raced, you know, in, in different eras to, you know, eras that have, have always been super intriguing to me. And, you know, Bruce McLaren, who was so famous from, you know, New Zealand and, and you know, just how those guys did it in those days too, right? You know, from engineering and building the cars to racing them to, you know, look at the, you know, the, the size of what McLaren has become, you know, to this date. And, and, you know, obviously we tragically lost, you know, uh, uh, Bruce, well, 50 years ago, yesterday, what, yesterday or two yeah. days ago. So, you know, um, I don't know. I'd love, yeah. Bruce McLaren. Uh, and then I don't know, like, I just, I love AJ Foyt, man. I love, I love who he is as a person. I love that he still comes to our race and the same with Mario, you know, they're, they're just legends of our sports, of our sport that, um, you know, I, I still find that we're extremely lucky to, to be able to embrace them on a, on a, on a week, you know, uh, every week basis, you know, when the season's in full swing and, and, uh, I don't know. So I kind of want to have a four wide, you know, front row there with uh you know bruce mclaren mario and, and aj and myself that would be pretty sweet i figured you're gonna throw frankiti's monkey ass in there just to you know beat him and try and you know he's you've got one try and beat him. Yeah, yeah, you've got, yeah, he's got problem. three well at least you can get yeah. two and you know tip the balance a little bit more that guy whatever happened I to him i finished twice to dario out of out of his three victories two of those I was actually did all, all of Dario's finished under caution, right? I think so. Yeah, they did. See, and uh, and two of those I was second to him, which was was uh, you know frustrating, but also you know Dario and I uh, are the best of friends, and he uh, much deserved, and you know obviously a legend of our sport, and, and lucky enough to to be teammates with a man racing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that whole <laughs> caution comment you just said basically exposing <laughs> yeah. those three no, wins are all hashtag fake up. news. Yeah, I, I, wind, I wind him up about that all the time, so he, he knows that. I <laughs> uh, love it. All right, last couple here. Let's see. Love our questions. Love our love our listeners, Dix. David Zitterbart says, Ooh, Dixie, where do we begin? All right, how was your time this year? with the Aston Martin at Mount Panorama. And can we expect to see you in more GT or prototype racing elsewhere in the world that we don't know about? David, that's it. Yeah, that, that was, um, that was a fun event. Like I've got to hand it to, to, you know, the Bathurst 12 hour. Like, um, it's, you know, for me, you got to remember too, you know, I, I remember watching Bathurst from such a young age uh, been to it twice just as a spectator, um, kind of as a 13 year old. And then I think as a 16 or 17 year old and, and, you know, what that sport is in, in the Southern hemisphere and, you know, uh, Australasia, um, you know, Peter Brock and, you know, just so many, uh, you know, role models, I think, you know, throughout, throughout my junior categories. And, and that's kind of where everybody, uh, jump to so I wanted I wanted to be able to run on that circuit because it just looked like the craziest circuit and and uh, we had the you know uh, the luck to to join uh, our motorsports which uh, was a fantastic team and 
uh, Julian Rouse, you know, had a ton of fun, um, awesome teammates uh, with, you know, uh, Jake Dennis and Rick Kelly. And I, I don't know, I had the time of my life. I wasn't, I was kind of probably a little too cautious in, in, in the first parts of, of running there and, and uh, you know, didn't really, wasn't able to do a ton of simulation. You know, it would have been nice to get on, on a proper break to at least, you know, kind of understand what that car does. So, um, I don't know, I had some crazy moments. I remember almost spinning in, in uh, the bend that's called the tree, which is flat out fourth gear um, and, you know, having to come in and change, you know, my undies for that one. And that, that kind of sets you back a little bit uh, for the rest of the weekend. And, and as you saw, you know, the Aston Martin, unfortunately, with, with uh, yeah. its configuration was, was probably the toughest car to drive. You know, I think they wrote off two or three out of the four um, you know, uh, our teammate had a spectacular crash in qualifying that, you know, destroyed the car. So I don't know. I had a blast. I was on edge the whole weekend. I don't think I really slept much, which normally I sleep all the time in race weekends. Um, I'd love to do it again. You know, that team was fantastic. And, and, uh, just that whole experience was, uh, was, was unbelievable, but you know, how competitive to that 12 hour is from, you know, it's starting days to what it is now is brutal. Is, uh, is brutal. It's crazy, man. You know, you know the amount of testing and, and you know the manufacturers that are getting involved. Um, you know, I hope that continues. Uh, but yeah, I loved it. I just straight up loved that event. Three quick questions to go. This one from Kyle Donnelly, which brings in the best worst racing movie of all time, Driven. Gotta love it. Kyle asks, better Pack West racing duo. Mo Gujelman and Scott Dixon or Joe Tonto and Jimmy Bly? Uh, you got to go. I think the, uh, the, the actors, mate, I think that, I don't know. There's not much to be said about that movie. Um, oh, there's a lot apart, to be said. Apart, Just none of it's good. From, no, I know that's what I mean, but uh, a lot of laughs, but yeah, no, um, Mo and, Mo and I, you know, you got to remember the, 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 the difference between careers and who's doing what at that stage too. And I just couldn't believe, you know, one, how cool Mo was and how we would book like five flights to get out of the race as quick as possible. <laughs> and just that I learned so much off him because, you know, he had seen it all and, and been there, but you know, as far as a spectacle, I think you got to go with the, 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 the two movie guys. Tonto and Bly. So, yep. In trying to put together something for next year, the 20th anniversary of that trashy film, I reached out to most of the actors, and I love the fact, Dix, that all of them declined to be interviewed about the movie. I think that was my mistake, telling yeah. their personal assistants what movie I wanted to talk about. But the the polite declines that I got back from Stallone and this guy and that guy. Oh, it's just the best. I uh, can't believe that. I, I know. Wanna, I can't believe they're not making, uh, you know, a sequel to that. Jesus. Um, all right. Our penultimate question goes to our man, Matt Philpot says, Scott, do you happen to have a favorite section on a particular road or street course on the IndyCar schedule over the years where you just look forward to that complex and driving it lap after lap? Uh, I think there's many. I don't know. That's what I love about IndyCar racing is just the diversity of it, right? You know, like I think we see the the pole opposites, like, you know, the Indy 500 to, you know, the Jewel in Detroit, um, you know, but that's, that's, I don't know. I just love the fact that you can be going almost 250 miles an hour on a super speedway to, 
the following week, you know, uh, racing between, you know, concrete walls on a, on a very bumpy street circuit. Um, I don't know, like I, you know, I love, you know, I love Toronto. It's gone through some configuration changes. I really miss Watkins Glen, uh, Road America's a ton of fun. I love St. Pete. I love the fact that St. Pete's going to be uh, the finale this year. Um, I don't know. I, there's, there's a ton of tracks. There's none that I really, you know, dislike. I, I maybe some of the, the newer age tracks like Coder and, and, you know, places like that. I think, you know, it's, with having these off track limits and you know, that stuff, they should just put a wall there. And if you hit the wall, then that's your off track limit. You know what I mean? So I hate these open parking lot kind of circuits that some of the formulas have uh, gone to throughout the years, but um, I get it for safety in, in some areas, but you know, uh, the street courses, I think for me are just, they're so much fun, you know, trying to, to confine uh, such an angry car, like an Indy car between those walls going so fast is, um, you know, if you have that so-called uh, close to perfect lap, you know, uh, it just feels so damn good. One of the things that was a delight to watch, it was also just seeing physics bend in front of your eyes. Watkins Glen, freshly paved circuit in Indy cars with the crazy high downforce manufacturer arrow kits blasting through the bus stop uh, yeah. on reds and qualifying. Can you even describe that? Because the track did not go straight. You actually had to make a right, then a left, then a right to continue. But it looked, it happened so quickly, Dix, that it almost felt like the cars were just going straight. Yeah, it was it was crazy, and you were trimming the cars out a ton, you know, to get their speed because the you know the the, the straights were were fairly long. But I remember that test, you know, uh, coming back from. Actually, I think I had a red eye from Lamar. We just finished Lamar the first year in 16 and, and straight to the test there at, uh, at Watkins uh, with the, the new uh, newly uh, paved circuit and just the, the amount of grip, man. It was, it was unbelievable. I think you were almost fifth gear through the bus stop, which, uh, which was complete craziness. I think on a good lap, you know, and good RPM, you were maybe fourth, but, you know, flat through the carousel, you know, just, or, or, yeah, is it called the carousel, the, the turn after the, believe so, uh, the bus stop, you know, um, just mind boggling, um, you know, to process it because, you know, you'd be doing tire runs, tire runs, you know, they're trying to pick a suitable tire for the race and just, you know, some of the grip levels that you're experiencing were, were just complete bizarre. You almost needed another 500 horsepower in the car to, you know, to spin the tires, but it's, um, I love Watkins Glen, man. It's it's such a cool track. It creates fantastic racing. Uh, you still got the risk factor with you know the grass and the walls right there and, and things like that. But um, yeah, they don't they don't build them like they used to, man. Mm. Let's close the show. Save this one just because I thought it'd be fun to do a bit of reflecting. Obscure, but hey, that's what we do. This goes to Michael Zenger. It says Scott, are there any good stories you can tell from your time racing in Formula Holden? And also, how important was the step of your career? So maybe tell folks about what Formula Holden was, if you have any good stories to share about it. Uh, Formula Holden, uh, so yeah, it's basically what F3000 um, chassis, and then they uh, they put the V6 Holden engine in it uh, in Australia. So uh, it had you know good power. It was a fast car. Um, actually, I think the car I won the championship was uh, was the X Zanardi. 
uh, car, which kind of was really crazy how that looped together um, yeah. later in my career. And that car, I now believe, is maybe in Canada. It's kind of it's kind of jumped around the world a little bit. Had someone recently trying to track that uh, that car down, but um, I don't know. I think it was. Uh, you know, my first year there was very tough. I think my first ever race in a Formula Holden was uh, the Australian Grand Prix weekend, uh, maybe in 1996 with uh, Graham Watson's team, who, you know, unfortunately Graham uh, uh, passed away, you know, a few years back. Um, but I, I don't know. I really enjoyed um, the camaraderie of, of the team that we had there. It was I think it was myself, one mechanic, and, and we had one engineer, like, split over two or three cars, and it was just such a small outfit and and uh you know i really enjoyed the you know the camping to you know just the, the australian lifestyle is pretty wicked you know i was lucky enough to live there for for a couple of years obviously i grew up there and you know, i think we moved back to new zealand when i was six or seven um but you know i got to live in melbourne for for a couple of years too and and uh, do the formula holding experience but yeah i i um trying to think of of any crazy stories but it, there wasn't too many uh, you know, probably there was there was always plenty of of ones that I can't really tell. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that uh, you know, we're, I had I had I had a lot of fun in in, in those years of, of being. Uh, I think I was you know seventeen, eighteen at the time, and, and um, living by myself uh, in in a big city um, away from home for the first time was was definitely there was a lot of things I shouldn't have done probably, and and a lot of things that I learned quickly, but. Um, it, it definitely helped shape my racing career as far as, you know, uh, going to win cars and the people that I got to work with, you know, to, to help progress to get to America. Well, I, I might just tack on here because maybe this will uh, conjure another quick thought or two about this time. Someone who asked about any stories or any reflections you might have on the two foot tall dynamo known as Kenny Smith. Uh, and I know that you helped me a couple of years ago with a, a story about him when I ran into him uh, in Monterey at the uh, the historic race there. I just read about him growing up and on track magazine was like, oh, my goodness, this guy's like a thousand years old and beating the crap out of all the kids. But tell me yeah. about uh, Kenny's influence on your life. Yeah, Kenny was Kenny was was huge, and you know, uh, actually, that reminds me. I need to I need to call him. I haven't called him for for a few months here, and and uh, but just a, a tremendous human being, um, huge help for me. You know, especially when I moved from you know Formula V's to Formula Ford, where Kenny was you know dominating and and you know racing really well. But he was a fellow competitor, but was was there. You know, I remember for the first time in, in Manfield. Uh, which was a circuit, um, you know, in, in New Zealand, and and you know, after a, a wet practice, you know, him coming in and saying, "Oh, you should try this with, you know, healing and towing, and you know, maybe using this gear here," and he just was always full of help. And and from that point on, you know, we just had such a tight relationship that you know, I would, you know go over to Kenny's house after school and, you know, hang out with him and, you know, his family. And, and, you know, he's just always been a racing nut from, from day dot, you know, what he's put into the sport and the people that he's helped is, is the, the list is crazy. And, and everybody, I think that, you know, from New Zealand that's done anything in, in motor racing, 
um, you know, and kind of this generation, you know, Kenny has helped, um, you know, with a lot of other people too, but, you know, just his passion for, for motor racing and, and, you know, the, the, the Tasman series races where, you know, he would compete against, you know, the, the greats of, of the formula one world and, and beat them, um, you know, through Asia too with Macau and things like that. You know, he was hugely talented and, and it's still, you know, I still ask him these days, you know, like, how, how come he just didn't go to Europe, man? He would have, he would have crushed it. Um, but yeah, he's uh, he's a character. He's 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 about four foot nothing, full of energy. <laughs> we'll take we'll take on a seven foot person, and, and he's kind of like our dog George, you know, a little uh, white Maltese that thinks he can beat up anything, can take on cars. And, and Kenny uh, is just you know that's how how and why he's been so successful. But um, yeah, he's a he's a legend of our sport, huge name in New Zealand, and, and uh, has done so much for, for many people. Beautiful, Dix. As always, thanks for taking some time, brother. Going to be uh, interesting to see how things play out this Saturday night on NBC. The Genesis 300 at Texas Motor Speedway. Finally have an IndyCar season, brother. So, so happy.